This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. What I've distilled out to sort of three key pillars that people rightfully defend. They've spent their whole life building it, and now they're spending the final phases defending it. And that is their dignity, their identity, and their independence. And that these three things are critical to all of us. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the health benefits of rhodiola rosea. We'll hear how to reconcile dignity and safety while aging. We'll find out how to break the cycle of pain. And lastly, we'll discuss cooking with salt. But first, a little bit of business. Chronic stress has far-reaching negative effects on the mind and body. The Roseva brand of products offers natural and quick-acting solutions for health issues that might result from stress, including fatigue, low mood and anxiety, cognitive decline, digestive disturbances, and poor sex life. To receive a six-day sample for any of the Roseva products, send an email to solutions at nantonnutra.com. N-A-N-T-O-N-N-U-T-R-A dot com. Our first guest is naturopathic doctor, Dr. Ellie Klein. With an interest in risk factors for heart disease, including high blood pressure and cholesterol, stress, hypothyroidism, and diabetes, he is the founder and facilitator of Dr. Klein's Healthy Heart Program, designed to assist in the natural prevention of healing of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Klein has authored four books and topics related to heart disease, thyroid health, and cognitive and mental health well-being. He's an educator, a speaker, a formulator of natural health products, and a partner at MHS and Nanton Nutraceuticals. Welcome to The Tonic, Doctor. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about a natural product, which is a series of natural products, which is derived from an herb or a plant called Rhodiola rosea, right? Yes. What is Rhodiola rosea? Well, Rhodiola rosea is a low or short plant, a shrub that grows in northern climate subarctic areas, high elevations. It's also known as Arctic root. In essence, it has been used for millennia to help boost energy levels, overcome stress, sharpen the mind, uh, and so on. Okay. So are you having people collect wild rhodiola rosea for, for your products or is it cultivated? So it typically, it grows naturally throughout the northern hemisphere, okay. primarily in uh, Euro-Asia, mm-hmm. and uh, traditionally it has been picked in the wild. Some of it is cultivated. More recent years actually has been cultivated more extensively. And it also grows naturally along the northern parts of the east and western coastlines of, of uh, North America. Okay. But there is uh, an interesting Canadian story here. I always love a Canadian story. Okay, good, good. Because sometimes in the early 2000s, the Ministry of Agriculture in Alberta got interested 
in at least examining the prospect of cultivating Rhodiola rosea in Alberta because it fit the bill. It's a northern environment, subarctic environment. It's uh, Alberta is at four or five thousand feet above sea level, so right. it fits the bill, right? And so they actually uh, started doing this. They spent a few years researching various strains of Rhodiola rosea, and eventually they landed on one. They picked one, and they assigned it to a group of growers in northern Alberta, areas close to Edmonton, actually. And they assigned them with the cultivation of that. And it's not a cash crop. You know, they grow canola and wheat and things right, like, yeah. like that. It takes five to six years to reach maturity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it under organic conditions. And they've done a fantastic job. Fast forward, Canada has become the number one exporter of Rhodiola rosea. Wow. And actually, our parent company, a water bottling company, was actually invited to bring it to market. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yes. So from a healing perspective, is the cultivated Rhodiola any different than the natural or is it In different? general terms, no. I mean, the the various areas, the condition of the soil and, and the weather and all that would dictate perhaps uh, the potency of, of the material of the of the plant of the root right. that's where it comes from actually it's the root of the plant but uh not necessarily you know so historically would people like make a tea out of the root or grind it up how how is it ingested yeah yeah so you have to you have to actually uh dig it out and you have to clean it really well you have to uh cut the root right you right you ground it up actually and you can brew, you can make a tea out of it. But uh, with more uh, modern and advanced extraction techniques, you can actually bring a large volume, a large bulky volume of root uh, and narrow it down into a small amount, put it in a capsule. Okay, and that's how it's sold, right? That's how your company Typically, Typically, capsules or liquid extracts, uh, so alcohol-based liquid extract. Okay, I have to ask this question because I ask it every time I hear about a new health and wellness product. How does it taste? Well, in a capsule, it, it's fine. Capsule, it's tasteless? It's tasteless, of course. Okay, when is, you say it's fine in a capsule... Oh, no, you swallow the capsule. That's all it is, right? Okay, but when, but that suggests when it when it's natural, perhaps it doesn't taste so great. Oh, no, when it's natural, it's a bit bitter for sure. Yeah, yeah, it is bitter. Okay. Yeah. All right, so get the capsule, not not the root. Okay. So why do people use uh, rhodiola? Like, what would they use it for? Well, you know, traditionally, traditionally... Uh, People who live in these environments use it to help them withstand the harshness of the environment. Uh, it helped uh, energize them, their body, their mind, their spirit, you know. Right. Uh, we know nowadays uh, we call it sad, seasonal affect disorder, where people right. are affected by the uh, Lack short, of daylight, yeah. by the daylight itself, right? Short, um, low amount of daylight, basically, yeah. short days, and the coldness as well. And so uh, they use it for that to basically energize their body and their mind. Okay. So let's talk about how you think uh, rhodiola might be used in a modern context. So I understand it's going to help people with dealing with uh, sort of the symptoms of stress, right? Yes. So let's focus on stress for a bit. When we're talking about stress, what do you mean? How does it manifest? Well, stress, uh, chronic excessive stress is suppressive in nature. It uh, can suppress uh, cognitive and mental functions, brain functions. It can suppress various bodily functions as well. Digestion, regeneration and rejuvenation of cells and structures within the body, immunity and things like that. So it has a, a net suppressive effect on the body. And modern science has shown us that 
the compounds, the active compounds in the root of Rhodiola rosea have properties that mimicked the effect of the hormones of vitality, the steroid hormones of vitality. The hormones that drive oh. energy generation within the cell, regeneration and rejuvenation. So things like progesterone, pregnenolone, testosterone, DHEA. And they oppose the effect of the hormones of stress that suppress various healthy functions within the body. So cortisol, adrenaline, right. and so on, right? And so, in essence, it helps alleviate the stress response and its effect on the mind and the body. If I was going to take rhodiola to deal with stress, if I was under stress, yeah. would I take it as a preventative sort of thing, like a daily dose? Or would I take it if I'm feeling stressed and it's going to help me in the moment? A lot of people notice an immediate effect okay. uh, in terms of uh, a sharpened mind, uh, alleviation of mental fatigue. You know how when people are under extreme stress, they... they don't think, or well, I should say we, you know, everybody's had a lot of stress. We don't, we stop thinking clearly. Our mind isn't as sharp, becomes a little foggy. Our mood is affected, right? right? Yeah. And I mean, think about it also from a biological, physiological point of view. Our brain, which controls our cognitive and, and emotive functions, is a very small part of our body. It's only 2% of our body weight. Yeah. But its energy demands are very high. It produces and consumes 20% of the energy that the body requires. So very unproportional, disproportional. And so stress suppresses the ability of the cells of the brain to produce the energy they require for their cognitive and emotive functions. Because it's being drafted out to help with muscle, like the, the fast twitch, because we're under stress, right? With the stressor, whatever the stressor is, can be can be a mental emotional stress, can be a chemical stress, can be a physical stress. Anything the body perceives as stress, the body would direct its resources to deal with the stressor at the expense of other things. And so something like rhodiola rosea and the compounds in rhodiola rosea alleviate the stress response. They lower the stress hormones. The compounds or the compounds within the root mimic the effect of the hormones of vitality and that alleviates the stress response and the pressure on the brain and the brain, the cells of the brain to function properly. And, you know, studies have actually shown improvements in things like depression, anxiety, and even safety with conventional antidepressants. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Now, I know stress sometimes relates to inflammation, and with inflammation, you might get pain. Can rhodiola help us with pain? Yes. Yeah, so, especially chronic pain. Right. Not not, not acute pain, but something Yeah, excessive chronic pain. And so, under these conditions, excessive chronic pain is also perceived as a stressor by the body. And, right. And so, it responds in a similar manner. And so, again, something like rhodiola rosea can alleviate that stress response and give the body a chance to recover. So I mentioned that our company was invited to produce uh, a product, uh, right, to bring this rhodiola to market right. under the brand Rosiva. And one of our clients is actually a medical doctor who runs a chronic pain management clinic. Okay. And, and he uses that along with other natural and non-natural agents to help treat his patients. Okay, so for chronic pain, is it the type of thing where you'd be taking the rhodiola regularly? In this case, I presume, because it's chronic, you would need to continue to take it, right? I think it varies from person to person. Okay. Uh, but until such time that the chronic pain or stress response is reduced and uh, there's an opportunity for recovery. Okay. Now, I think you mentioned historically it was taken by people in North America to sort of boost... Uh, their ability to deal with the cold and the environment. So I gather 
if we were to take it today, uh, it would help us uh, with our energy levels then. Absolutely, absolutely. So people who are fatigued because of chronic stress certainly noticed an improvement in their energy levels. Uh, it was actually extensively studied on elite athletes as well. Oh, wow. And have shown to improve their ability to perform better, to recover faster. And, uh, you know, chronic stress has far-reaching implications on sure. the human body, right? can also support... Uh, things related to you know, when you're chronically stressed, uh, you're not in the mood anymore, so to speak, yeah, right? You don't, you don't need to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens to the best of us. Right, right. right. And me too. So yeah, so are you saying, are, are we wink, wink, nudge, nudge saying that it might help with libido and, and getting in the mood? I use it with additional herbs together to help okay. support that, to help energize the system and improve the hormonal bonds in, in the system. So it works really well uh, along with some other botanicals to help improve libido and sex function, yeah. Well, that's uh, certainly going to be good news to a lot of people who might be listening. I understand with uh, certain formulations of rhodiola, it can even help if you're suffering from stomach ailments. You know, often people who are under a lot of chronic stress notice the effect, first and foremost, in their digestive tract. For sure. Right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people respond uh, by uh, experiencing acid reflux, belching, gas, yeah. uh, Upset right. stomach, even. Upset right. stomach. Uh, stress can be the basis for inflammatory or irritable bowel disease as well. And so, for sure, uh, it can help alleviate the pressures on the digestive tract as well. And then you can combine it with, with uh, natural botanicals that uh, are synergetic. Chamomile, which soothes the nervous system, soothes the digestive tract. Ginger and artichoke. And that's one of your Roseva lines. So is, is that correct? Is that what? One of our Roseva products, Roseva Digest, yes, yes. Uh, it's combined with some digestive herbs and, and enzymes to create a powerful, natural digestive aid. And I presume you take that when you're suffering from the pain. Like It's not preventative. It, it's You use it when you, as needed or? Surprisingly, acts very quickly too for a lot of people. Okay. So we've talked about digestion and energy and stress. What if I'm feeling under, you know, a little sad? You know, we talked about seasonal affective disorder. Yeah. But will it help with mood? Absolutely, absolutely. So as I mentioned, it has been studied in the context of mood, of depression, of anxiety, of mental acuity and focus. And uh, in different populations as well, including student populations. Right. So students are under a lot of stress, you know, uh, needing to get ready for exams, need to, needing to memorize a lot of material, yep. uh, under a lot of pressure from their expectations, parents, peers would... Uh, tend to do well with something like that as well. Okay. Very quickly, are there any contraindications for using this product? Is there any drugs that people are taking that they might not want to take it or conditions that it might not be appropriate for? Yes, that's a good question. So, you know, natural health products, uh, especially uh, when they're sold over the counter, uh, they have to be approved by Health Canada. And Health Canada would mandate the sort of things that needs to appear on the box. The contraindication related to rhodiola rosea is in bipolar disorder. Okay. So it augments your mood, but we don't want to push anyone to a manic state. That's good advice. We have time for one more question. And that is, uh, what would you recommend to people if they're looking uh, to buy a good rhodiola rosea product? Well, we have a lot of, there are a lot of wonderful brands uh, throughout uh, health retail stores. Uh, certainly our brand Roseva, we, we do offer sample packs as well. And if people are interested in trying it out, you know, try before sure. you buy 
basis, they can actually email us and we will send them a sample. What's the email they should email? They can email solutions at nantonutra.com and nantonutra is N-A-N-T-O-N N-U-T-R-A. So solutions at nantonutra.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me and hopefully we'll do this, this again. will help a lot of people. Yeah. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss reconciling dignity and safety while aging on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24 hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest, David Bernstein, graduated from the Schulich School of Business with an MBA in 1992. He worked in marketing and senior management with Procter & Gamble and Reckitt Binkieser in Toronto, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam, and London. Following in the footsteps of several family members, David entered the seniors care field, acquiring Caregiver Services Limited in 2014. Welcome back to The Tonic. It's been a while. It has, Jamie. Nice to see you. Yeah. So you haven't been here, I think, since early summer and midsummer. Um, my mother got into an accident yeah, I'm so sorry and to hear that. Uh, she broke her sternum and it was a pile up on the 401. And I should stress the accident uh, wasn't her fault at all. And she's back to being mobile. Those are two good things. But it led to an inevitable discussion about whether she wanted to drive anymore. And in the context of uh, that, we had to consider whether or not, you know, she still felt comfortable driving and whether it was safe for her to drive. And that's a theme that we're going to touch upon today. And that is sort of the balance between safety and autonomy for people that we love that are, are getting up there in years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the business that I'm in, I tend to get the phone call and brought in to provide care when these items become most relevant, yeah. where the child or the spouse thinks that the parent can't be left alone. They're forgetting things. Driving is a, its own category because right. unlike other, thing, other areas where people may compromise their safety in day-to-day life, Driving obviously has a much more existential threat, right. and 
it affects other people. Right, I was going to say, there, there, there are third-party issues. <laughs> there, there are serious third-party issues. Right. And so it really is its own category. Right. But it's also incredibly difficult to resolve because as long as you're, you know, compass mentis, as long as you are legally able to make your own decisions and, you know, after 80, you've passed the test, legally you can drive. Right. That doesn't mean that people feel comfortable with you driving. So how do you tell a parent who is legally able to make their own decisions that uh, you think that they shouldn't be driving? Right. It's a very complicated and difficult dynamic. And I would imagine every family has a unique, you know, experience with that. And there's no, I don't think there's any elegant solution other than um, truly, ha- you know, having good conversation with your parents about how they feel about their driving. Right. You know, maybe even explaining to them, if it's not already clear, that notwithstanding how comfortable they may feel, there are other people on the road. And, you know, there, I remember my father, at some point he stopped checking his blind spots. Right. You know, he was a heavy man, he had a stiff neck, and he just stopped checking his blind spots. He would use his mirror, oh, I'll use my mirrors. Yeah. Well, anyone who's driven long enough knows, and this is before we had the little lights that tell us if someone's in our blind spot. And so, but he was probably 60, you know, still a young man when he stopped checking his blind spots. And yeah. so what do you do about that? <laughs> you know, it was, uh, we would get angry and he would try and then, you know, uh, I don't think he ever really got back to checking his blind spots. You know, it was a short conversation with my mom and, and she said, you know, basically she led off with, well, you know, I'll decide whether or not I'm going to go back on the highway or where I'm going to go or when I'm going to drive at night. You know, maybe I'm not seeing things as well, but I need it for my independence. And really, there's nothing for me to respond to in that respect. You know, like she's right. You know, like the way the city is, the way people live, you need to get around. Um, maybe in a few years with driverless cars, things will be different. But, but you know, well, it's, there, it's real. there are other options. True. You know, maybe the, you know, uh, the extreme example to some extent, proves the point that, you know, if they lost their sight, right. you'd still have to find a way to live a life, try to have independence, and clearly you couldn't drive. Well, I'm speaking more philosophically of the larger issue, independence, which 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 I know, like, in, in the context of, you know, our discussion today, there are some things for us kids and spouses to consider when you're approaching these topics with somebody who's older, right? Well, you, you, you know. regarding driving, again, because it comes up so often, there are... I mean, Uber is a powerful tool and cars are expensive. So to some extent, you know, maybe dimensionalize how much it costs to keep this car and how much you could get a private driver. For the car, you know, I had this discussion with her. I said, you know, there, she lives in a complex where there's lots of people. A lot of people are retiring there. It's not a retirement facility. And there's guys who are looking for things to do. But if she needed to go somewhere, one of these guys would drive her for 20 bucks or whatever it is. And you're right, Uber. And I said to her, like, maybe you take the money that the insurance company was fully prepared to give her for the write-off that was her car. And she goes traveling. And then she decides, you know, she can hire taxis or Uber when she wants to go shopping or come visit. Now, one approach I found that works is pick certain circumstances where Uber makes the most sense. Driving at night, for example. Right. So that the person who's, because if you've never used Uber, it's probably an uncomfortable idea. Right. Getting into a car with a stranger, uh, you know, uh, who's taking you wherever, using an app, all those things. But there's a lot of people who are perfectly reasonable driving during the day, but driving at night is very difficult. So maybe introduce the idea of using an Uber driving at night. Right. And then once they climatize to using it a few times and recognize how unbelievably easy it is, now it can begin to be a tool to be used during the day. I agree. 
So why do you think there's so much pushback? I mean, like she didn't push hard, but you know, I would imagine you see this a lot. You know, uh, children are concerned about safety, and parents are saying, "Hey, I want to live my life." Why do you think that happens, and 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 what do you think the approach should be? Well, what I've seen with almost all of my clients and the dynamic between them and their families is that there is some degree of struggle between the family's desire for them to be safe and to some extent to control how they behave so that they can go to work and do their thing and not worry that someone's making a a bad decision. And what I've distilled out to sort of three key pillars that people rightfully defend uh, that you've built their, they spent their whole life building it, and now they're spending the final phases defending it. And that is their dignity, their identity, and their independence. And that these three things are critical to all of us. And at these later phases in life, when maybe mortality is a little bit more uh, present in their mind, and they really want um, you know, who they are, you know, and asserting that matters, and accepting that they're losing capacity is a, a difficult thing to accept, and they want to you know, they're resisting it, which is fight. And fight is a good thing at, at probably any age. And so I find that particularly with something like dignity, dignity is something we all, you know, need and deserve and are owed. And for some inexplicable reason, the tools that are there to help us with our mobility or our incontinence or other you know needs that we might have as we age for some reason it makes us feel as though uh, our dignity is compromised and to sort of dimensionalize how uh, on the one hand clear it is that it's true and on the other hand how absurd it really is uh, at its core think about the idea of wearing adult diapers would you be uncomfortable wearing an adult diaper just or having people know you're wearing adult diapers well i would wear them if i needed to wear them but I wouldn't want people to know that I was wearing them. You wouldn't necessarily. It's an uncomfortable, Correct. forget about wearing them. Yeah. But the notion of having to wear them, I think, right. would absolutely be troublesome. And, and it would probably, I would argue, feel like some sort of threat to your dignity, that you have incontinence issues and that you need these tools to deal with it. Now, what I don't understand and where the sort of disconnect for me is, how in any way does wearing an incontinence product say anything about who you are as a person? It's they're completely disconnected. Right, I agree. And your dignity is really about who you are as a person. Right. And yet, with complete understanding, it makes people very uncomfortable either to wear those things, even in the privacy of their own home, or certainly out. They're embarrassed by it. And it happens. It is what it is. But there's this huge disconnect. So, you know, that's sort of, for me, the clearest example of where... As we age, the things that we need to help us maintain our independence, go about our life, are actually an internal struggle for us to come to terms with. You know, just using a cane. You know, if you've got mobility issues and you right. you need to, a cane or something to climb stairs, how does that really say anything about you as a person? It says nothing about you as a person, but it makes you feel aged. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Of course, you know, uh, people use canes for balance or, you know, for strength issues. And, you know, to my mind, as I get older, you know, when you're younger, you don't think of uh, the underlying issues, right? But as you get older, I think to myself, you know, how incredible is that? The effort, you're going to that extra effort to walk, to go out and do those things that are important to you that you were doing and taking for granted when you were younger. If anything, it's more impressive that, you know, that even though you need these tools 
to help you do it, you're still doing it. Uh, so when I see somebody who's elderly, who's made the decision, they're walking to get their groceries or their errands, but they need the help of a, a walker or a cane, I think, good for you. Like, that's great. I don't know. Then Maybe that's just my perspective. In my experience, it is an inexplicable, to some extent, struggle that people have until they realize they have no option. Right. But it's possible that, you know, I'm no expert, but maybe just Darwinistically, we fight these things to prove that we're still capable and that that is somehow helpful, that that keeps our spirit going. No question. And our fight there. And maybe the only way we re- re- truly realize where the line is, is by resisting it for as long as possible. And unfortunately, that often leads to safety risk and where people fall. Right. And then all of a sudden, a fall leads to a broken hip. And then they're in bed for you know three weeks, and recovery becomes very difficult, all because they were fighting, justifiably so, for their ability to only use the cane and not use the walker because they didn't think they were ready for it. The biggest challenge for family members is, how do you watch your parent do that? Right. You know, when they're fighting to do the thing that they want to do to maintain their identity and their dignity and their independence, you see that it's increasing the risk that they're taking. And how do you accept that and just let it be? Well, we don't have any more time to discuss that today, but I'd like to follow up with that thought for the next time you're back next month. And we can discuss ways that families can help their loved ones sort of bridge that gap, remaining safe, but maintaining the dignity and the independence and the spirit that they need to do the things they want to do. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Sounds great. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to break the cycle of pain on the tonic. The tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their client's mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. For more information, visit their website at vitaldirectives.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Roxandra Michia is a mind-body coach, author, and the founder of Vital Directives, a leading center for vibrant and healthy living, preventative health, wellness, growth, and rejuvenation. The Vital Directives tagline, Awaken Your Body, Celebrate Life, is her motto. Roxandra has an unwavering belief in each person's inherent capacity for healing. Having had her own experience with the limitations created by chronic pain, she created a unique process that allowed her to heal her body. 
Roxandra has dedicated her professional life to teaching her clients the process that will ignite their innate healing capacity, significantly reducing chronic pain while developing the skills to create and maintain pain-free active lives. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Last month, we talked about what we can learn from Olympians and their, and their process. But today, we're going to talk about pain in and of itself and the cycle of pain that many people suffer from, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is this cycle of pain that you defined? I think of what happens in the body when someone suffers from um, long-term physical pain, be it from an injury or from wear and tear, let's say, let's say something that happened to the spine and now the lower back hurts or the neck or a shoulder. There is a cycle that becomes vicious over long periods of time because you're hurting and you don't find a relief method that works very well and then your your mental stamina is starting to give too and then there are all sorts of emotions associated with that as well you 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 feel like your body has failed you and you're angry and all these become like a a big mesh that keeps rolling over and over and over and becomes tighter and and harder and then the physical body responds in kind. Okay, so you liken it to a cycle, and, and in your book you have a diagram showing sort of a, a complete circle that sort of feeds upon itself. Yes, yes. But what are some of the stages of pain in the cycle? In the cycle, yes. So if you are in pain, you feel the pain. Yes. Day after day, week after week of the same sensation in the body, you're starting to wonder what will happen in the future. Right. Like, is this permanent? Or, you know, yes. or, or is this going to get better? Or is yes. it going to get worse? Exactly. So if this, let's say in the, in the case of a condition that now is chronic, so we're talking about a year, two, three, ten, twenty down the road, and you're thinking, okay, if this is how much pain I'm feeling now, if this is how much difficulty I have in my life now because of this, what will happen to me in five years? Where will I be in 10? Even if you don't consciously think these thoughts, at the back of the mind, they're always there. They're always running. What will happen? What will happen? So this we're talking about fear. Mm-hmm. There is a visceral fear when you think about the future because you're in pain, in physical pain. Now, our bodies are equipped to deal with fear. Fear is what keep, kept our species alive. Right. So we're equipped for this. Fight or flight. Yes. But we are not equipped to sustain high levels of stress. This is what fear creates in the body and in the mind, high levels of stress. Cortisol and an increased uh, hormone activity, which which creates, uh, exacerbates the situation. Yes. And we're talking about long periods of time here where the body keeps producing the stress hormones. Uh, Cortisol is called the death hormone because of the, the destructive effects that it has in the body. So one of these, the, one of the de- destructive effects is the fact that at the level of the connective tissue, the fascia, it changes its quality and its capacity to glide and slide and do what it does and transfer forces correctly in the body. So we went from feeling a lot of pain to feeling fear to having a high level of stress, high level of stress hormones, to a change in the um, uh, mobility and the capacity to transfer forces in the fascia, which only, all these things only lead to even more physical limitation. Right. So the fact that someone feels pain from an accident, let's say, now the stress... (laughs) 
the whole uh, sequence of, of stressing. So, 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 so it becomes it becomes mental, which is the an emotional, which is fear. Yes. Which manifests in literal physical change to your body through the production yes. of hormones. Yes. Which exacerbates the pain because you lose mobility and you and yes. your body's less able to deal with it. And let's face it, for some people, stress may cause them to act out in different ways. They may abuse drugs. They may eat. Uh, they may not yes. be able to sleep. All of which is going to impact your ability to fight off pain. Of course. Of course. So that's the cycle, right? So that's the cycle. So now you're even in more pain. You're maybe uh, there's even more limitation in terms of movement and physical capacities. So now your belief that you cannot heal has only been strengthened. Okay. So now we've scared the hell out of everybody, (laughs) right? (laughs) Who has pain and dealing with long-term pain. But Uh this is probably something they already knew. But the good news is you can break that cycle, right? You can break the cycle, yes. So, So what do we do? I found that if we are to just talk about it and yes, let's try and change our mind, that can be done if we're determined. But we, at this stage, we have to bring something to the equation that is believable, even if it's very, very small. So the way uh, we work at Vital Directives, we start with very small movements that don't require Um, a big effort that are very easy to do. And definitely we don't work with our clients to show them what they cannot do because that they know very well. We have to find what's the first little movement, little exercise that they can do without any discomfort at all. Okay. And everybody has that ability to do at least something? To do at least something. And when I say a little movement, let's say you have um, trouble with your knees, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. And if we are to work with your knees... First of all, if you've tried a lot of things that didn't work and the high level of pain is there, just from the beginning, you will not want to work with your knees. Even if you say, okay, I have to do something, at the back of your head is like, this is going to hurt me too. Right. How do I trust that this will not hurt me? So we can't work. That's how we work at Vital Directives. We can't work with something where one part of you is pulling in one direction, wants to heal, the other part is in fear, because then you work with the body in a a high level of stress. Right. So let's say, okay, your knees are hurting. Let's just see, how are your wrists? Are they fine? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the wrist can do this. How about the shoulder? How about the neck? How about your spine? And then as you start to move, not only that you realize that, oh, okay, hold on, there's parts of me that work. So if there are a few parts of me that work, how can I use them to start to change the quality of the tissues and the quality of movement in my joints so that over time there's less stress in the in the knees? Or we can start from the feet and think the same way with respect to the back. So, so that's the physical aspect, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. you're starting with the physical, yes. which, which makes sense because yes. the pain for the most part is a physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. It's not in their heads. Mm-hmm. But there are other aspects to the healing process as well, yes. right? What are those? Uh, Working at the level of the mindset Mm -hmm. and also uh, giving people the tools to um, get themselves out of fear as they go through a physical healing process. So the emotional. The emotional, yes. Where where do you want to go next? Do you want to go to the mind or the emotional? Let's let's talk a little bit more about um, the emotional aspect here. Okay. Because let's say you're starting... You come as a client, right? Yeah. So we're starting to work together and you're starting to feel better. So after three, four, five weeks, you're starting to think, okay, this is working. This is working. I think that I can do this. And then you wake up one morning and you you feel that you're back at square one. Right. Setbacks. Mm-hmm. That's not a setback. 
is just a normal part of a healing process. It's okay. changing is changing some rules in the body and that takes time. But the first time that you feel that drop, the mind goes into fear immediately. Right. And that's that's a that's a critical moment in in a healing process because that is when you need the most support. That's when you need someone to help you navigate through the emotion. Do you tell people ahead of time that they should expect that the that it won't be a linear process that sometimes you're going to feel yes. worse and sometimes you're going to yes. feel better? Do they ever believe you? Do they do they understand or do they have to live it? To, to understand. I think that maybe they understand, you know, it's a process, it's a, <laughs> you describe to them a sequence of events and maybe they, they understand it in their mind, but they only really truly understand it after they go through it. You know, I, I, I struggle with my weight and I talk about it all the time, you know, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. at one point over one year, I lost 52 pounds, but it's an ongoing process. And sometimes I slip and mm-hmm. slide and I drift and, mm-hmm. and I put on some weight and I have to remind myself that when I'm taking off the weight, it's not linear. There's going to be weeks where I'm going to lose a couple of pounds, and then there's going to be weeks, like, for example, after Thanksgiving, I'm going to put on a pound, yes. and that's okay. Yes. Uh, and even when I do everything perfectly, all of a sudden, I'm going to weigh more one day, and yes. it's just the way the body is, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's the same the same thing. In that moment when someone um, drops um, emotionally, when they come back in for their session, we work again through through the exercises, and by the end of that session, they feel better. So then, then the belief that oh my god, this is not going to work for me is starting to be dismantled. So it's always um, an intertwined um, effort: physical, mental, emotional. And that's how you get the results. And that's how you get the results. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Jamie. You're going to come back next month, right? Yes. But in the meantime, if people listen in to the end of the show, we are going to give away a copy of your book, You Don't Have to Live in Pain. Thank you so much for bringing it in. (laughs) Thank you. My pleasure. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Carolyn Tanner-Cohen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background, which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everyone in between. 
For more information about Carolyn, visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic. Thank you, Jamie. It's so nice to be here. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you'll go to somebody's house and they're going to serve you something that they think is super delicious and you take a forkful of it and it is bland, bland, bland. (laughs) And my first thought is they've undersalted it. For sure. Right? Yeah. Because salt's important to cooking. Salt is a flavor enhancer. Okay, so you have to think of it like this. I always tell my people that you think of it like this. Salt turns up the volume of everything else you're tasting. Correct. And reduces the bitterness of the things you don't want to taste. I think the greatest skill that you can have as a cook is understanding that you have to season, meaning salt and pepper, uh, any savory dish that you're dealing with throughout the cooking process. You have to keep tasting it, and you have to make sure that you've got a finished product that isn't under or over salt. For sure. And did you know that some salts you want to use before, some salts during, and some salts after? And different foods. Yes, but also different foods require salting before or middle, or after, or all of them. Yes. I'm not sure I know which... Yeah. I, I'm not sure I necessarily know which is which. Right. But we can I, talk about that. Well, let's talk about okay, it. Okay, so let's start by just... Because I want to jump into a topic that I want to jump out of okay. right away. Okay. So... <clears throat> That's salt intake and reduction. So the daily recommended amount that you're, of salt that you're supposed to take during the day is less than 2,300 milligrams a day, okay? Yes. Which is really like one teaspoon of salt. Right. So it's not a lot. However, what I'd like to say is that the salt that we're ingesting by sprinkling here and there is not our problem. No, it's the, the processed foods. Exactly. So like the soups, the stocks, like the vegetable or chicken stocks that you use, the deli meats, you got to reduce that stuff if you want to reduce your salt. And that's why I'm such an advocate for cooking at home. Right. Whole foods, salt your own stuff, move on. I agree with you. The, the problem is I use a lot of stock in my cooking, right? I should be no sodium. Yeah, I, I know. But it, the thing is, if you use a regular sodium stock, yeah. you just know that you're not going to be putting more stock in later, right? Like, you, Yeah, you know. totally. But the thing is, is, first of all, there's too much sodium in that stuff. And Fair also, enough. the sodium doesn't taste great. Try putting your own sodium, whether it's kosher, or Himalayan, or sea salt, the stuff that you like the taste of, which we're going to get into. Yeah. And then you'll see the taste difference in your soup. So no sodium stock to begin with, and then salt it up yourself. I will try it. Okay. Good. You let me know. So let's get off the intake and reduction topic and let's go to the four types of salt that I want to discuss. Where do you want to start? Well, I'll just tell you that the the four that I want to discuss are table salt, kosher salt, sea salt, and pink Himalayan. Mm -hmm. So I think we should start with table salt because that's the most common one and the one maybe I'd like to get rid of. Well, I actually don't. I use all of the other three religiously and I really do not use table salt. But let's talk about it because a lot of people do use it. So first of all, all four salts are sodium chloride and they all come from the sea. I know you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? They do. They all come from the sea. Some of the seas have been dried up and are not active seas, current seas, let's call them, but they are all from the sea. So table salt is usually iodized, and it was iodized back in the day when people had problems with goiter. And they still do in some parts of our world, so it's mostly iodized salt, and table salt has three ingredients in it. It has sodium chloride, an anti-caking agent, Um, forget the iodine, and oftentimes it will have dextrose in it, otherwise known as sugar. Hmm. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay, so now, it's sort of true, sort of not true. Some brands have sugar in it, some brands don't. Read the label. I think you have to assume that it has it. If you you come to like a diner and you're putting salt in your food, assume that it has it. Assume that it has it. Now, it's trace and it's negligible. 
Right. Okay. And the diabetes people don't care about this sugar because it's negligible. Okay. But why do they use it? And it's because it's it's got to counterbalance the taste of the iodine. So if you're buying non-iodized table salt, there is likely no sugar in it. Moral of the story. That makes sense. Okay, so it's mined from salt mines or salt deposits, and it comes in very, very small crystals, and it's very dense by volume. We're going to talk about that after. Remember, dense by volume. I've I've socked it away. I'm ready to discuss it later. Sock it away. Move on, table salt, goodbye. Yep. Okay, sea salt. Also from the sea, obviously, yep. but it's a current sea, so it's evaporated. It's evaporated from the sea, usually by by a human being. Okay, I like to say man, but it's probably a woman. Um, <laughs> so it comes in unrefined or refined. The unrefined is unwashed, so sometimes it's a little stickier, a little bit grayer, yep. and it has trace minerals. And the refined is washed, stripped away of all minerals. Now we're kind of table salt ish. If you're, yeah, but without the iodine. Without the iodine, yeah. Um, so it can retain a lot of its natural mineral, minerals, and they usually come in three forms. Crystal, um, sorry, the salt usually comes in three forms. Crystalline, which is very fine grain. Remember yep. that again, yep. because it's dense again. Flaked sea yep. salt, which is usually a finishing salt like Malden or, for, for, or um, something Fleur like that. Yep. And then there's Florida which is more clumpy, okay? And I use this for all cooking I use the fine stuff, like the fine crystals, for baking. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say they use table salt for baking. There's no need. Just use fine grain um, sea salt. And then the after cooking is when you want to use the Malden or the Fleur de Sel. Right. So for things like if you've cooked a seasonal vegetable and you've done a simple application like steaming it or sautéing it, or salads, for example, could use seasoning as well. We season our salads. For sure you should season your salads. So flake sea salt or Malden salt or Fleur de Sel are all excellent for that type of Right, like you post cook seasoning. Post cook, exactly. Like you wouldn't cook during your cooking time with a flaked sea salt because well, it it's expensive. <laughs> for sure, expensive. They have a copycat version of Malden salt now. It's uh, by a company by called Pyramid. It's made in Canada and it's fabulous. Okay, and Great. it's a couple dollars cheaper. You buy it in the same store where you're going to buy the Malden sea salt. Actually, let's talk about Malden for one second. Okay. But I love the uh, smoked version of the Malden. Have you ever tried that? I have smoked. I have used smoked salt before. It is so fabulous. So what I'll do is I'll season, like I love making seared tuna mm-hmm. and I'll sprinkle the m- smoked Malden on after it's finished being Have you ever seared. tried to smoke your own salt? I haven't. Have you? I found a recipe for it. It's, it's a bit of a challenge, right? Okay, I, so what do you do? Well, you, I have a smoker box. I'm not sure that I'm oh, really right. the right, I right person. I showing off right? during the summer. No, but I don't have a full smoker. So okay. I, I think I would try it with a full smoker, but yeah. you, can, you can make your own smoked salt. So then you just take the flake crystals and you smoke them? Yeah. Smoke them up? Yep. Nice. Yep. Like that. But it's, you know, it's a procedural, you know. It's so. a procedure. I think I'm going to go and buy it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let's shelf sea salt for a second yep. and move on to kosher salt, yep. which is my favorite. Okay. okay. And my favorite really because I like to pinch it. And that's why most chefs like kosher salt because they could feel it. Yep. Um, okay. So like table salt, it's extracted from the salt mines. Unlike table salt, it's additive free. Yes. Now, there are brands that have additives to it, but the diamond crystal in the red box yes. has nothing but salt. Right. Okay. So, so I, I, would u- I would use that salt pasta water. Yeah. Uh, I use the kosher salt uh, in-house, like while I'm cooking, because it's in, an, uh, you know, although that brand, the, the diamond is expensive. Yeah. Uh, I would use it for like while I'm seasoning, while while I'm cooking and yeah. for brines. If I'm brining for poultry sure. for, for barbecue, that's what I would use. Should we talk about a brine for a second? Sure. It's not in my sort of head notes, but I think we should talk about why a brine works. Yep. Okay, so 
A brine is a salt, sugar, and you could put flavors, but yep. let's just call it a salt, sugar solution yep. that you put your meat into. Correct. And it works via osmosis. Right. So you leave it in typically overnight. You yep. want to put it in the fridge. Yep. And the idea is the meat slowly takes in, because the salt is opening up the pores, right. it brings in the flavor and the moisture. Right. So, for example, we just we just came off of Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, brining a turkey is a great idea. Did you brine your turkey? I did. Yeah, me too. It, yeah, you need a big container. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And, 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 but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but the, the bonuses with a meat that is not heavily uh, fatted, yeah. uh, you can keep moisture in, and turkey's yeah. perfect for that. 50% more moisture. It's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So um, it gets its name, the kosher salt, back to kosher salt. It gets its name from koshering the meat, which is very good for, because it, it, it because of its irregular flake, it, it's good for extracting the blood from the meat, and that's why it's called kosher salt. It's less dense than sea salt or table salt. Yes. So let's actually talk about, actually, we're going to talk about Himalayan first, and then we're going to talk about the density of okay. the salts, because I promised we'd come back to that. Okay, so pink Himalayan salt, people say it's the best one, blah, blah, blah. Most of it is a little bit of a hoopla. Yeah, okay. I most, agree. Yeah, most of it really is. Because the trace minerals that you're getting from the pink Himalayan salt are negligible. Unfortunately, pretty. I was going to say, however, (laughs) it's pretty on your counter, and it has an amazing flavor. Yes. So the flavor is great, but don't think you're like doing justice or doing wonderful things to your body by only eating pink Himalayan salt. I think if you get a really high end sea salt like a Malden or Fleur de Sel, that actually has better flavor than I think the Himalayan. You think so? To my personal taste, it does. I use Himalayan sea salt when I want to salt like my trail bars because I actually feel like it has a great taste. Um, But you're right, like a great sea salt has a fabulous taste too, especially if you're using something like Celtic sea salt, the gray one, and it's kind of sticky. There's a lot of minerals in that too. But you know, it's kind of like chocolate or coffee. There's a flavor profile to all these things. Okay, so the Himalayan um, salt is from salt mines in Pakistan, from the Punjab region, and it's the second largest salt mine in the world. So just as an FYI, a fun fact when you're at a party. Okay, so salt substitutions. You cannot substitute one salt for another salt. Right. And it's because of density, not because of taste and not because of color, but because of density. So a tablespoon, a teaspoon of kosher salt is very flaky and light. So it does not sit in the same teaspoon or like teaspoon like as table or sea salt. Right. So if you want to swap kosher salt for table salt or sea salt, you need one and a half times as much salt to get the same saltiness. That is very good advice. And unfortunately, we're out of time. We're out of time. Okay, we should pick up this topic another time. I like it. For another time. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles by amazing writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on the show when we'll discuss current research into medical cannabis, why strong muscles equal strong bones, holistic holiday gifts for the health conscious, and whether or not you're a sensation junkie. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. 
Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.